Hello and welcome to the b 2 Beast podcast, the best place to collect killer ideas for big business. And today we have got a beast in the building. She is a long-standing legend in logistics, where she is a recruiter by trade and a connector at heart. And over the last decade has bootstrapped CS recruiting from zero to now one of the best firms in the world at connecting top-tier talent in the supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Charlie Sapro! Wow, that was such an amazing introduction. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time, your talent, your expertise with us here today. Super, super, super grateful. Uh, and on that note, I would love to hear where are you tuning in from and what are you most grateful for cool. right now? I am tuning in from Highland Park, Illinois. It's a suburb outside of Chicago. Um, born and raised here, lived in the city for many years and then got sent back to the suburbs with my third son. Uh, what am I most grateful for? I try to really be mindful about gratitude um, today, I'm going to say I'm most grateful for my husband. He is a huge supporter. We've got an untraditional setup. Um, but the fact that he supports me through work, through personal times is I, I couldn't do it without him. So let's give him that shout out. Oh, love, love hearing that straight out the gates. Um, and you yourself have a very impressive story uh, that I'd love to explore and, and tap into. Um, starting with perhaps a, a big win on, on your plate, what is one of the biggest campaigns or milestones or really just projects, uh, that you're most proud of? What would you consider the biggest win of your career or your business thus far? I'm going to actually tie it back to my business in the recruiting world. And I'm going to tell you about my best recruit, um, personally. So as a recruiter, I mean, I spend my life finding the right match for companies when they need to hire talent, and then we help those job seekers find the right home. And when I first started my business, I had been a recruiter already, and I didn't expect to start a business. I was doing some freelance projects and got to a point where the opportunity was there and really ended up starting this business because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to underdeliver and I knew that the only way that I would continue to produce and scale is by hiring. And it's kind of like the the cobbler's wife, um, where all I do is help companies find their next hire. And when it came time for me to hire, I was like, I don't even know where to start. Um, you're the same. And so I really thought about the profile I was looking for. And I, I should mention, my first hire was my husband. So this was actually our second hire. Um, and I didn't know where to start, but I knew I wanted someone a few years out of college, maybe one or two years in the working world who was hungry, who was a quick learner. And I sent out, I was in my mid-30s at this point. So I sent out an email to maybe five girls that I knew that were still in college, babysitters, neighbors. And I ended up receiving the resume of Beth Herbeholtz, who today is our COO. Um, she's been with us for 12 years. And it's just ironic because she got to me through my second cousin's 
college friends, best friends from home sister. And, and that's just that is just what life is about. It's about networking. It's about really like leaning into we're all six degrees separated. And you probably know the person or that person knows the person or that person knows the person that can help you. And it's just about tapping into your network, paying it forward. So when you ask for something, um, people are are happy to give back and just, you know, never underestimating the power of an introduction. So that that one introduction led to, you know, a breakfast interview where I made her an offer on the spot. She trusted me, joined my team. And, you know, 12 years later, she's really my right hand in the business. Wow. That is an epic win indeed. Um what signals when you were at that early in the stage and you have this brother of a cousin of a buddy of whatever, and you have somebody that's coming to you in that opportunity, what signals were you looking for that were like, yo, this is it, this is it, um, versus just making the desperate move, the desperate choice of like, oh my God, we need to, we need to get somebody in there, like just throw them in, see how it goes. What were the signals they were like, nah, she's the one. She, she's the one. Were there any early signals in that or was it uh, kind of developed over time? A little bit of both. When I first interviewed her, I didn't have an office. I don't even think I had business cards. I maybe had a logo that I made myself and, you know, PowerPoint. Um, but it was trust. I needed someone who would trust me and believe in me to guide them. And that's what I felt. And I think maybe part of that was because we had this common connection. Granted, it was removed, but we both knew the same person. And maybe that, you know, that that person could vouch for both of us, just establish trust. Um, but she was not desperate. I mean, she had been coming from a career where she had that perfect blend. Um, she recruited and she also worked in the transportation industry, which is really the the intersection of what we do. And I don't think that was necessarily, that was kind of a surprise. It was like, oh, great, that's added benefit. But I trusted her. She trusted me. We are very different people. And I've realized that over the years how much we really complement each other. And when I think back to maybe my first impression of her, maybe I, I was just attracted to that. It's like attracted to someone who could maybe ground me, who could balance me. Um, but I think I, I felt trusted by her. And that's what really has been the foundation of our relationship. Wow. No, those vibes, there's definitely a sort of like meta level of, yeah. of connection, recruiting, all of that. There is a technical level we'll get into, but that's, that's good to hear. Um, and that it turned out so great. Um, all these years later, brilliant, brilliant to hear. Now let's maybe hit the other side of the spectrum. There's not as pretty or not as glorious. <laughs> um, do you perhaps have an epic failure? in the bank um, and maybe a turnaround story or perhaps maybe just some lessons we can extract from that. If it, maybe it didn't turn around, <laughs> um, but would love to hear what, what is that story or what is that moment for you? I, I would challenge you to find an entrepreneur who doesn't have a failure, because I think that that is a huge part of the recipe and it's the people who can learn from their failures and really embrace it and be a little vulnerable that can move on from them. So I think back in the scheme of things, it may not be the biggest failure, but it's the best lesson I learned through failure. And in my my early days, I was invited to go to a large company. We'd already been recruiting for this company. 
and had kind of proven ourselves. And they asked me to fly down to their headquarters and meet with some of their team members. And so I was happy to do that. I got on a plane. I went there and I got a tour of the office, saw, you know, a bunch of the the faces of the names I knew. And then they brought me into a conference room and people shuffled in. And the main person said to me, like, okay, I'll hand you the cord to the computer. You can get your presentation set up and then we'll get started. And I just froze because I did not have a presentation. And at that very moment, like talk about imposter syndrome. I I felt it. But at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, like, did they tell me to present something? Did they tell me to prepare? Or like I had already won their business or so I thought. And what I didn't know, and they had shared this with me then, was after I left that day, they were bringing in two other recruiting firms, and we were competing to be the preferred vendor. Um, and so thinking back to it, like, I'm a competitive person, and if they would have told me that from the start and just, you know, we're evaluating three firms, we want you to put your best foot forward, I would have done, I would have just handled it so differently. I would have overprepared, I would have gone in there and blown them away, but yet, I didn't have anything. And, and it wasn't that I couldn't speak about my business without a presentation. It was probably very honest, honest and obvious that like I was, you know, a deer in headlights when they asked me for that. So what I learned from that is the best way to overcome imposter syndrome is to prepare. Um, the way you prepare is obviously diligence, but learning, being vulnerable, asking questions. Um, and I would say that is who I have been as an entrepreneur ever since. Like, I hold myself accountable and I just I remember the pit in my stomach when they asked me to plug in my computer um, and I never want to experience that again. So <laughs> the learning I had was just like overprepared, develop things you might need them one day and you can't go wrong that way. Oh, my gosh. Business. I, I did not win it. And that was the other lesson is that somebody else, whether they told the other firms to prepare or not, somebody else went in there and presented better than I did. And I lost that opportunity fair and square. I was literally having secondhand anxiety, just hearing your story of being thrown into those moments. Um, but it takes those moments for now, next time you're up for a bid or you're up for an offer, like we're ready to hammer it home. Um, so that was a brilliant and slightly torturous story to hear <laughs> um, being being put on the spot like that. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's keep it rolling in your world and in your journey so far. I'd love to hear what is the wildest way someone has earned attention or business, uh, whether it's for yourself or perhaps a candidate you've been working with. What's the most innovative, craziest thing somebody's done to earn earn business or attention? To get the door open. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with the attention. And it's this has happened over the years many times, but there was a moment probably back in like 2013 or so where I was traveling to a client in Charlotte and I needed to get a rental car. And the woman behind the desk asked me, you know, why, why are you visiting Charlotte? And I hope you have a great stay. And we just got to talking and I told her that I recruited in the logistics industry and she told me she'd always wanted to work in the logistics industry and, you know, working at, at a rental car agency was kind of her first step. And so I said, take my business card and let's let's stay connected. Maybe I'll be able to help you. And so she ended up calling me the next week and 
I ended up getting her a job at that company that I was going to visit. Um, and so that was memorable in itself because that is just that is defines who I am. Like when I go to a restaurant, if the waitress impresses me, I try and recruit her for my team, for someone else's team. You know, if, if somebody I could just pick up on a good vibe and I, I try and connect with that person and and maximize that opportunity. But then this woman sent me like a pearl necklace, maybe maybe a year after, um, maybe when she hit her one year anniversary and just a lovely card saying that I changed her life. And she's like, you probably don't even remember me, um, but you changed my life. And today, fast forward, you know, eight, nine years later, she actually owns her own trucking company. And so it's just such an awesome story that like we stay in touch on LinkedIn. And I, of course, remember her and you know, it wasn't the necklace and it wasn't the card, but it was just what brought us together. And the fact that we both, you know, we both got something out of it um, was just it was a moment to remember. So little little acts of service can go a long way. Oh, my goodness. I love, love, love hearing and seeing moments like that, um, especially the the ending get extrapolated into that growth. Just a tiny little pivot. One moment, yep. the right message can shift that trajectory forever. It's like a sliding doors moment, you know, like she just happened to say, what are you here for? If she didn't ask me that question or try to engage in a conversation, we never would have gone any further, but I changed her life and I'll, I'll take that credit. Wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, there's clearly, clearly an aura of awesomeness following you around in this world. Um, you're doing something right over there. And that's what we want to tap into on this next section, the secret sauce. We're going to steal your secret sauce, whatever you're doing over there. We'll start on the personal side, um, and then we'll start leaning into your business and your approach there. Um, but first up, I'm very curious, in your day-to-day -day approach and routine, what habit or task is non-negotiable for you? Something that you have to do every day or ideally every day. <laughs> I get to, not that I have to, I get to meditate every day. Um, and that is something that has grounded me and carried me. And I'll be very honest that 15 years ago, if somebody would have told me that I should meditate, I would have laughed at them and said, like, I am not that person. Like, you, you've got me mistaken. And I found yoga when I started my business and yoga led me to meditation and it has been such a game changer. And, and I say it like that, truly, like I get to meditate. And, you know, it's one of those things like it's like working out where you kind of dread it. You're like, do I have time for this? I could be doing something else. And then the minute you finish it, like you're addicted to that last step of your run, that last breath you take that fuels you till the next time. So um, that is really how I think of it. And it's probably going on six years and it's a daily it's a daily habit. And it's just funny because I do not consider myself disciplined. Um, like the only thing I do every day is brush my teeth and meditate. But if you ask me to like fill out a spreadsheet every day or log my hours, like no way will I stick to it. But meditation, I, I see the value. And so it's become just like part of my lifestyle. Like I, you know, it's non-negotiable. Wow. Okay. This uh, is interesting. I think a lot of people are in the front end of this journey where they hear it a lot, a lot, or that early, those early stages where you're like, this feels kind of weird. And especially business yeah. owners, entrepreneurs, uh, you can, can't 
not think about, I could be do- actually doing something right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was just telling someone this story. I'll make it quick. But like, you know, when you think of meditation, it is it is a privilege. And somehow I have three teenage boys and a husband in my house. And when I say I'm going to meditate, they respect it. I close my door. Nobody bothers me. It is my 25 minutes. But if I would say I'm going to take a nap, like that would not fly. And that would not fly in most people's houses. Like my kids would be running in. My husband would be like, well, that must be nice to nap at four o'clock. So that's my suggestion to people who want to get into meditation is say you're going to meditate. And and meditation to me is almost taking a nap. Like you want to find that place between awake and sleep and just like catch yourself there and stay there. So go meditate. But it really is a nap, a cat nap. And see how it goes for you. And and your family will respect you if you say you're meditating and not napping. Oh, love that. Love, love, love seeing that um, come to life. Because, yeah, it's one of those easier... We hear it all the time, over and over and over. Uh, but it's very difficult to have the discipline, like you mentioned, the structure, the environment. Um, so that's brilliant to see how you've integrated that into your day. Uh, in a similar fashion... What tool or application or software of of any sort is a must-have for your life or your business in in that context? What's something you just have to use, keep glued to your day every day? Yeah, I mean, you can relate. It's LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For sure, my platform of choice. Um, And I give LinkedIn a lot of credit for helping me establish myself and my brand you know, I, I was on LinkedIn in 2010 when I started my business. I used it differently back then, but it has just given me a voice, a network, a community. Um, so huge fan of LinkedIn. And then I would also just mention Slack. Slack was something that we implemented when we made the decision to go fully remote right after the pandemic. And it is just a game changer. And most people think like, oh, a chat technology, why is it you know, so, so great? Or how did it really evolve your business? But what we do is we have you know, different channels and we probably have as many like personal topics as we do professional. And that's what keeps our team connected. Like you want to talk about your pets, go to the pets channel. You want to talk about your plants, go to the plants channel. And so I would say that is like been a huge game changer for us outside of email, outside of events and different opportunities we have, you know, on Zoom to be face to face. Um Slack keeps people connected in a in a real way. So those are probably my two my two faves. Wow. No, that's brilliant. Especially seeing that integration. I see it a lot in community building is often the context. Um the Slack mm-hmm. and Discord. Um we we always try to steer people towards uh connecting personal interests with professional goals. That is always my recipe for community building, but I'm seeing you use your internal team and which is exactly. still oh, and it's its own micro community uh, to deepen and strengthen and build that connection. Um, absolutely love it. So what is the, what exactly do you do, I guess, in the context of how you use these tools? How, how do you approach uh, using LinkedIn? What is your, specific i guess process or tasks or items because it's very easy to just log on scroll down the feed like a bunch of stuff comment a few times and be like yeah 
no, this doesn't really work. Like, I don't know. Uh, so how do you specifically use it? What's like your approach, your process or, or strategy with LinkedIn? Yeah, I used LinkedIn early on in the LinkedIn life, but also in, in my career. And originally it was a connecting tool for me. So I would find relevant people, send them a connection. This was before the bots were spamming everyone and people actually like knew I was a human. Um, and I built my network very quickly. And most people don't know this. You probably do. But you can only have 30,000 connections on LinkedIn. So I tapped out on my connections probably like five or six years ago. And I had like a pity party. I'm like, now what am I supposed to do? You know, I can't connect with people. I can't communicate with them for free anymore. So I really flipped it into this follower mentality and started posting content. Um, and there's a whole other story, you know, content I avoided for many years. I didn't want to, you know, come off narcissistic or as an imposter or be judged. And then one day I just I got the balls to do it. And I actually posted something personal about one of my kids um, and it went viral. And the the aftermath was the comments and the DMs were I didn't know you were a mom. Like, thank you for even not, not even about the video, but like, wait, you have kids. And this is like the first time you've let us peek behind the curtain of your your personal life. Because before that, all my posts were like five interview tips or, you know, how to handle a great negotiation. And then once I started letting people in, the, the engagement was there. The response was there. And um, so now I'm I'm a daily poster and I don't post every day for vanity metrics. I mean, of course, that it does drive our business. So I, I do want that engagement um, of relevant humans. But I post because I, I inspire and I, I am inspired by inspiring other people. So you could probably relate to this with your community, Travis. But like, if I get one message a week, and someone says your post really made me think about my situation, or your post, I shared it with my wife, she needed to hear that. Like, that's, that's my purpose. Um, last week, I actually tagged Paris Hilton, and she commented back. And that I would say was like, well, that was like the peak of my career. On Yo, I'm telling you, Link, LinkedIn is yeah. becoming the, the cool kids table. We got Ryan Reynolds. We got Mr. Beast. We got Paris Hilton over there. Yeah. <laughs> so I use it now in, in an interesting way. Like when I post daily, I mean, it's a mix of advice. It's articles. It's thought leadership. It's personal anecdotes. But I use LinkedIn to connect with my community but also to connect with my team and, and communicate with my team. So every time I post something, I share it with my team on Slack. I don't need them to go on LinkedIn and like it, but I want them to read what I put out there because if I say something, I mean it. And I'm not just saying it to engage followers. I'm saying it because that is what I I walk the walk. And so um, a lot of the things that we do that are untraditional, we have you know four-day work weeks, we work from home, we have flex hours. Like I preach that on LinkedIn, but my team like that, it, it just it makes it more authentic when I can communicate with my team that way as well. Um, so that's that's how I use it. But it has driven 90 percent of our business has come to us from LinkedIn communication, referrals, networking. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big part of, of our growth. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Um, and 
truly, truly an OG. I think we've got a lot of bandwagon LinkedIners. I was a pandemic uh, LinkedIner, kind of finally joined the party, was like, all right, I'm sick of Gary Vee yelling at me. um, But you really have leaned into it from the start. And you've seen, I can just tell from the conversation, the different shifts in the platform, too, of how you started with original, like OG, one-to-one connections, um, and then growing to that next level of maxing out your connections and then (laughs) hitting that next level approach of how to build an audience, build a community. Um, And clearly, uh, yeah, if that's driving 90% of your guys' business, it's been working well. So let's dive a little deeper into that now on the business side and your guys' specific approach. Can you share a specific strategy or system uh, that you guys bring to the table. I know you really help a lot of logistics, kind of very complex industries. Um, but in the context of recruiting anyone, <laughs> anywhere, um, what is your general approach or system or strategy when you kind of start meeting with these executives, these leaders? Um, how does that unfold and how can we uh, start making sure we're at least putting up the bumper lanes to, to stay on the right path um, for recruiting this top tier talent. It's interesting how we have evolved uh, as recruiters and, and also as thought leaders and consultants in just the, the recruiting talent acquisition space. And a lot of it comes down to just human leadership. Like it is so simple. If, if somebody were to ask me like, my culture is in bad shape. What do I need to do? I mean, I could give you lots of tactics and strategies and processes, but the simple answer is treat your employees like humans and really make an effort and you will see a huge difference. And it's just about like knowing who they are behind their title. Um, Like we all have emotions and families and problems and challenges outside of work. And when leaders and managers take the time to understand that, it goes a long way. And so as a recruiting firm, I mean, we are we are filling open positions. And what's unique about us is we don't want to work with companies that have open positions because of turnover. If they bring people in and they turn and burn and they're always calling us like now we have six spots open on the floor. We need we need warm bodies. That is not our ideal client. Our ideal client is a company that is hiring because they're growing or they're hiring because they just promoted someone and now they need to backfill that person's seat. And the reason we we care about that is because it shows us that these companies can retain their talent. And that's what I really think the the secret sauce to recruiting is, is, you know, even if you have one employee, you have a culture and you have to engage that person, create opportunities for connection and, you know, for them to feel a purpose. And then you use that retention strategy for your recruiting brands. Like, not only do we want you to join our company because of XYZ, but you're going to get here and you're going to really feel it and then you're going to stay. And we have a lot of tenured team members. And I mean, I am all for like, let's let's carry them as long as we can and promote them and develop them because I, I want them to be here and I don't want to go out and have to hire new people if we don't need it. So we are a different type of recruiting firm that focuses more on retention and the topics that drive retention to feed our recruiting business. That is music to my ears that is gold to hear uh the deeper i get into this this business building adventures um the more i recognize exactly what you're saying i would hundred times rather have like 
my two or three like rider dies, treat them well above whatever is like average competitive salary. Um, cause I do not want to have to go find those people again. <laughs> I do not want to go find them uh at all like it's not it i mean in today's market people are desperate they need jobs they need salaries so salary is driving a lot of the hiring decisions right now but during the pandemic and the great resignation i mean job seekers wanted trust they wanted empathy they wanted opportunity um they wanted culture so even small firms like you can you can retain on a budget and it is not always about the spend or how much you pay someone or how great your benefits are. I mean, that that contributes. That's why we work. And I'm not going to deny that. But what employees want and why they will come to your company and stay at your company, those are those are other intangible things that it's it's usually more of like a vibe or a feeling or a connection than, you know, a number on your paycheck. Mm. Love it. Love it. I'm very curious. Yeah. In this process of finding, I guess, the the right fit when people when somebody recognizes they need talent, they need people, mm-hmm. they have two options to go in-house, internal uh, or yep. find a firm A recruiting firm specializes in this. Um, there's all kinds of equations, I guess, kind of signals to lead them one direction or the other. What is the most valuable, I guess, signals or thresholds that would steer somebody towards a recruiter? Like when, do, when should we hire in-house? When should we bring in the big boys? <laughs> when should we, yeah. um, w- what is your general approach for that, that crossroad? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm all for referrals and using your network to hire, as I told you. I mean, that is part of how I built my business through, you know, my second cousin's friend's friend. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think companies turn to recruiters and, and they should turn to recruiters in a couple different scenarios. I mean, the first is that we speak their language within our industry. So not only just finding a recruiter, but a specialized firm that is niche, it saves companies so much time, money, effort. When we can talk to a client and they're just spitting out acronyms and we don't have to stop them and say, wait, hold on, I don't know what that means. We're we're just going with it. And then when we start listing the acronyms or naming their competitors, like then they're like, wait, you guys actually get it. And so that specialization, that niche knowledge, I think is is one reason they come to us. Another is the networking. I mean, we have an established network. I've been building it even before this company when I worked in the industry you know, 16 years of building a network of professionals, you can't compete with that. Like we have these people in arm's reach already. And then I also think when you think about recruiting, it's not, it's something that a lot of people in a company get involved in, but it's not on everyone's job description because it's not easy. You were exploring how these companies and uh, individuals really choose recruiting versus going in-house. And a lot of the time, there is opportunity in leaning on your internal network, but when it comes to niche and industry expertise, now is when you want to call on the recruiters, the big boys, everything. And that is where you guys have been really powerful in helping people uh, really show what they can do and bring to the table. So I uh, want to jump to our last section here. We're going to play the world's fastest game show ever, where all you have to do is answer this or that these randomly generated items are you ready to play i am okay round one red wine or white wine 
white. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Round two, a poem or a story? Story. Love it. And round three, this one's interesting. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? (laughs) You know, we have a divided house here, so we always have both. And I just am privileged to have access to both. I'm going to say crunchy, though. If I had to choose, I'd probably buy crunchy. Love it. There we go. Absolutely amazing. Well, you just beat the game. Your prize incoming. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and share for those of us that have been listening um, and interested in A, following you uh, on your journey or B, leveraging and utilizing this network you've been building, your recruiting services, how can people find you? and get involved with your journey. Absolutely. Find us on LinkedIn. If you're friends with Travis, you'll get to me through him. And you can follow me with my personal profile, Charlie Safro, or our company page, CS Recruiting. Um, Would love to hear from you if you're in the logistics industry or if you're not, whether you're looking for a job or hiring or just looking for some thought leadership around employee engagement, human leadership, and talent, and human capital. Boom. 100, 100% recommend that follow. Um, I've been following the journey for a while and it is, uh, been amazing to follow and see that personal side, but then the business growth and just watching it level up and level up and level up again. So I do have to give you a quick moment of appreciation and acknowledgement because I have been around, around the block for a while now. Um, and I've seen a lot of people doing this business building thing and especially LinkedIn in very questionable ways. Um, And there's others that are doing it very honorably and doing it right. Um, And you are definitely one of them, Charlie. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's a lot of time, but it's worth it. My, my pleasure. Uh, Let's wrap this up with our final, final question. And this one's for one specific listener. And They might be just starting out on this journey, or perhaps they're just stuck taking it to the next level. But what final words of advice can you share to send them into beast mode? My advice is you can't scale a business without the right people. And I will be the first to tell you that managing employees is very hard. It is The one thing that keeps me up at night is thinking about how to make everyone happy. And I know I'll never accomplish that at every moment, but it is the right people that will drive your business. So you've got to figure out what your leadership style is, how to engage these humans, how to connect with them, and just know that it's it's a team effort. You're not expected to do it alone. Boom. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the B2Bs podcast. This has been... Charlie Safra. You're a beast.